Welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church Cardiff. We are a multi-site church longing for God's kingdom to come in order to restore the city and renew the nation of Wales. During the coronavirus outbreak, we are not meeting on a Sunday, but you can stay connected with us on YouTube, Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Vineyard Church Cardiff. Each Sunday, we will be streaming a full-length service and providing resources for the kids. And across the week, we're putting up loads of content. You can find out more on our social media or at cardiffvineyard.org forward slash online church. Here's this week's talk from our senior pastor, James Rankin. Hey, welcome. My name's James. Speaking from my loft this morning. We're in my kitchen last time. I don't know whether it's an upgrade into my loft, but I thought for the next few weeks, maybe we could try different places in the house. You'll get to know my house by the end of it. We're not going to do the bathroom. That's that's just off limits. Um, but really excited to have you if this is your first time. So how's your week been? Out of 10, what would you give your week? Let me give you mine. Four and a half, solid four and a half. I was doing quite well last week change, everything's changing around, get used to a new situation. And then on Monday, fell off the positivity cliff. It's like, <laughs> suddenly like, oh, I'm so grumpy. And it was that realisation that we, we were in this situation for quite a while. We're in a season now, aren't we? And just missing people's faces. It's the little things in life, isn't it? It's one thing to be, see people's faces on the screen. It's another thing to see them up live and personal. Missing the community, missing worshipping together, the, the team that I work with. So just feeling that and a little bit caged. But then by Wednesday, I'd, I'd got back on the horse. I was like, come on, James. And, and it's really interesting because it's a time when people are really emotional, aren't they? They're feeling deep emotions because change brings emotion, creates emotion. And, and I've kind of flip-flopped between feeling some loss and then on the other side, just feeling incredible gratitude for the really small things in life, like food. Like sitting down and eating and sitting there thinking, oh, thank you, Jesus, for a little garden. It's like, oh, wow, I've, I've got this for my house, for my family, for my community, for people that I love. And just being like, Lord, I'm so grateful. Grateful for little things that I haven't been grateful for in a while. So feeling that the two sides of that emotion, really. I heard one of our staff say earlier in the week, that we find out what our faith is made of at a time like this, don't we? We find out what's really deep inside. When things are stripped away, it's like, okay, what's going on in my soul? What do we feed our souls with? Where do we look to? So I'm really excited to be looking at John 17, continuing in our series on Jesus's last words. And this is looking at Jesus's last teachings before he went to die on the cross. And I want to set up chapter 17 by looking at the last verse in chapter 16. And it's verse 33 and it says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I love that, I have overcome the world, take heart. So what's Jesus been teaching about so far? He's taught about them serving one another, washing the disciples' feet. He set them an example. Chapter 13, chapter 14, I moved on to talk about future hope and preparing that Jesus said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And I'm in my father's house are many rooms. And then I'm going to go and take you to be with me. Last week, Alice looked at chapter 15, looking at remaining or abiding or staying in the vine. Stay in the vine, stay in me, remain in me. 
And if you do that, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then today we're going to be moving on to chapter 17. So let's, let's pick it up. And in this passage, we see Jesus praying to his father and praying for what he longs to see, his desires, his hopes. And we get to overhear God. We get to hear God's not talking to us and we're not talking to him, but it's the father and the son having this beautiful conversation. It's Jesus praying. And here we know that we're going to hear the son before he dies, talking to the father about the things that are most important to him, the things that he most cares about. Now, this is the longest prayer of Jesus recorded in the Bible known as his farewell prayer. And in it, he prays for three different groups of people. He starts by actually praying for himself, but not in a selfish way. He prays for himself that he would glorify the father. That's verses one to five. Verses six to 19, he then prays for his disciples, those that have been around him and that he's loved and he prays for protection and joy. And then in verses 20 to 26, he prays for those who are going to believe. He's really praying for us 2000 years before, praying for us. And this prayer gives us an incredible insight into the relationship between the Father and the Son in the Godhead. And do you know what? You can look at this chapter in so many different ways. You could break it down very differently. But I've broken it down using three key words. And the first is glory. The second is unity. And the third is holiness. And so I want to start with glory and Jesus's desire to bring the Father glory. Now, when I was about nine few years ago now uh, I used to go to something called Spring Harvest I love Spring Harvest it's a big Christian festival it was at Minehead Butlins in Minehead love Butlins the swimming pool was just amazing the flume's incredible but one of the things that I used to do is I'd meet together with a couple of hundred other kids in the kids club and it was called the Glory Company Glory Company what an epic name and so what would happen is we'd, we'd meet together. But then whenever we used to go around the site, we used to have to sing this song. And I can remember this song 31 years later. And it goes like this. We are the glory company, company. We are the glory company. With Jesus as our saviour, we live in victory. Because we are the glory company. With you and me, we are the glory company. Yeah! We'd go crazy and we'd sing it all around the site. But that name, The Glory Company, often um, Christian youth groups, they call themselves like something short, often one word like innovate, renovate, ignite, something like that. But The Glory Company, that's what we stood for. We were about standing in the victory that Jesus had won, that was part of the song, and about bringing glory to God. That, that was our role, to bring glory to God, to bring glory to the Father. And that's what we see about glory in chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus says this, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. And he's saying, my hour has come. And he's talking about his death. And what he's really saying here is pretty simple. He's saying, Father, send me to my death. I'm ready. I'm willing. I'm ready to go. I'm prepared. I've been living this life in order to reach this point. Now is the time. Now is the time for me to glorify you by dying. Isn't that just amazing? I'm ready. And in this moment, we see the pureness of Jesus's heart. Father, I just want to glorify you with my life. I want to bring glory to you. 
Verse 5, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Glorify me that I might glorify you. The Father is glorifying Jesus. Jesus is glorifying the Father. And that's happening now. But if we go back and look at verses 4 and 5, it's saying this has happened from all of eternity. This isn't a new thing. This has always happened because the Father has been glorifying the Son and the Son has been glorifying the Father before the world began. So you've got this beautiful interplay between the two. And I think it's a somewhat difficult concept to get our minds around. We're like, wow, glorify. What do we mean by glorify? And I think, first of all, it means to praise, to appreciate and to adore, to praise, to appreciate and to adore. All of those things. And then secondly, it means to serve and to please. Serve and please. And then thirdly, it's all done out of love. Jesus says it twice, but down here in verse 24, I want those you've given me to see my glory, the glory you have given to me because you loved me. It's love right in the centre of it. Now, we know that if you truly love somebody, one of the ways that you show that love is by glorifying them that you lift them up, that you praise them, that you adore them, that you speak well of them. And, and an image that I have, it's almost like you push them forwards, isn't it? You push them into the spotlight because you want them to radiate. You want to take a back step, almost be like, look at this person. Aren't they amazing? I want you to adore them. I want you to love them like I love them. And so we're told here that the father and son have not only been glorifying one another for all eternity, but if you actually go one chapter earlier into chapter 16, we see that the Holy Spirit's been joining in as well. It's not just the Father and Son, it's the Trinity. It's the three parts of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit from all of eternity have been communicating and pouring glory and love and joy into one another's hearts. It's a beautiful picture of love, isn't it? Perfect, complete, divine love. And it's inspiring. I look at that and I'm like, that's why love is in God. Love is in the Godhead already. If you want to know about love, look at God. Look at him if you want to see perfect love. So then we look to Jesus and we see his most intimate prayers with his father. And we begin to understand that the way that he prays reveals his heart. I don't know about you, but often when I come to pray before God, I start with my list oh lord this is going on in my life and i'd love you to break in here and i'd love you to do that and i'm a bit worried about this and do you know what there is nothing wrong with that it is all right to pray and to unburden our souls and to bring all of our stuff before god and in fact it's good but jesus is the other way around jesus prays not to let the father know his agenda but to conform his heart to the father's can you see how that's so different often we pray to get god to give us things and Jesus prays to find God in things. I've been really on this journey over the last year or two as um, I have a spiritual director that I speak to every month. And in that I talk about, it's my journey of faith in marriage, the church, ministry, parenting, all of it. It's all of life and it's how God intersects. But often you'll bring stuff and you'll be like, I'm wrestling with this, I'm thinking about this, I'm, trying, I'm churning this. And one of the things that my, my direct, spiritual director often does is she, she often turns around and says, well, where is God in that situation? Because what I want to do is I want to get out of the situation. I want to remove myself. I want to get away from pain. I'm like, no pain, no pain, get away. 
But instead it's like, but what is God doing? Where is God in this picture? And it's like, oh wow, that's a really different question to ask. Let me see and know your heart in order that I can come into agreement with you. And in that way, we don't spend our lives trying to control our environment and our circumstances all the time. Because as we found out recently, we're not in control of very much. So many of us thought we were in control and life was bumping along. Then suddenly we realised, oh my goodness, my, I'm really not in control. He is. And he is the plan. And what is it to get in line with what the Father is doing? So in coming to the cross and then coming to earth, Jesus lay aside his desires and his wants and even his needs. And he said, Father, I want to glorify you. And the way that I'm going to do that is I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to lay down my life in order that you would be glorified. It's so beautiful. It's so sacrificial. Glorify me on the cross that I might bring glory to you. And then we move into verse 21 where this, this theme of glory continues. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as I as you have loved me. So at this moment, we take this concept of glory and we add to it unity. So Jesus's desire is to reach the world through our unity. For the sake of the world, let his glory be seen. May the world understand and believe that you sent me. That was Jesus's prayer. Now, this glory that we see in the Godhead isn't meant to stop there. It's meant to radiate out, to shine out. That when people look at the people of God, that they would see, they would see God. Verse 22, I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. So the outworking of this is unity. Jesus says here that unless the world sees love in the church, they won't know that God sent Jesus. That means the love in our relationships has to be visible, remarkable. It has to mean that the people of God who do come on know anything say it's inexplicable it's incredible I don't understand how these people love one another but there's something so authentic and something real and it's and it's deep how do they love one another like this people looking into our community would say that people looking at the church would say that because the Christian journey was never meant to be alone meant to be lived in community now right now with social distancing and and the, the place that we find ourselves in We have to rethink the way that we do community. But at its heart, the church is called to look out for one another, the people of God, to press into community and to love one another. The best way by far to build community is through small groups. It's through people you're committed to, to do the things that scripture teaches you to do. Now, years ago, um, when John Wesley and George Whitfield had this great revival and millions of people came to faith. It was, it was absolutely incredible. And they divided people into these little classes and these little bands of 10 people. And they said, I want you to get together each week and just tell what's in your heart and help one another and pray for one another. Now, some people came against him and they said, but religion is a private matter. And do you know how he responded? He calmly said, well, the Bible says, 
Confess your sins to one another, James 5.16. Exhort one another daily so that we're not hardened by sin, Hebrews 3.13. Teach and admonish one another in wisdom, Colossians 3.16. Stir one another up to love and good works, Hebrews 10.24. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Romans 12.15. Now if you do not meet to do these things, when will they get done? So the people of God glorify him by loving one another exceptionally. At a moment like this, we've got a chance to, to love one another exceptionally. Say, do you know what? It has changed. The world has changed. It's looking different. We have these different challenges. Is it possible? Absolutely. And it's more important than ever. So glory, unity, and then finally, holiness. Jesus's desire is for us to be holy, his spotless bride. And we see Jesus start to pray for his disciples in verses six to 19. And it's really interesting what he thinks the most important thing is to pray for us. Now these verses are pretty intense and I could draw out a number of things. He prays for protection, he prays for joy, but I think what holds the whole section together is that Jesus is praying for our holiness. Now the word sanctify, comes up over and over again, particularly in verses 17 to 19. And it comes from the Latin word sanctus, which means holy. So it says this, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. So, so what's this passage getting at? It's saying, so sanctify means to be holy. So the drive of the whole prayer is this. Holy Father, make them holy. And keep them holy that's what it's all about make them different to the world make them holy and keep them holy now let's be honest we have a bit of a challenge with this right now because this word sanctify sanctification or even the word holy has got a pretty negative press in today's society that when we say that word holy people think oh well you're holier than thou often they might think of being judgmental or looking down on people you think that you're above people that is so far from what this word was intended to be and what it does mean. So we have to redeem it and we have to understand the word. So if this is Jesus's prayer for his disciples, then we've got to understand what he's talking about. Verse 15 this says this, where Jesus says, I don't pray that you'll take them out of the world. I pray that you'll protect them in the world. So what that means is Jesus doesn't see holiness as as just refraining from sin and temptation, though it is that, it is absolutely that, but it's something bigger than that, he's saying. He's saying, if you're holy, you can go through the world without being drawn into the desires of the world. You don't look to the world for your affirmation. You don't look to the world for your salvation. You don't look to the world for your identity and your comfort. You can look at the world and know that you're free because you're not getting that from the world. There's a freedom in your heart. It doesn't have to own you or have a hold over you. You haven't made your home there. You're in the world, but you're not of the world because you know that Jesus has prepared another place that one day you're going to go. It's not your master. Holiness is saying, um, it's not saying, sorry, oh, I really shouldn't worry that much. I'm a Christian. I have not to worry. Holiness is not, I shouldn't be so resentful of this person. Holiness is not, why am I so scared? I should overcome this. I shouldn't be so scared. 
Holiness is not just talking to yourself like that, though sometimes that can help. What holiness actually is, because I've not allowed anything else to have a title to my heart, because I've given God unconditional obedience, that means that nothing else has a control over me. And bit by bit, if I live that way, I'll become more like Jesus, who wasn't controlled by anything in this world. He wasn't. As you look at the person of Jesus, you're like, he was free. He was free. And that's why it's so important to keep looking at this person of Jesus, to fix our eyes upon him, the author and perfecter of our faith, to see even the way that he prayed and to learn from it and be like, Lord, I want to I want to glorify the father. I want to glorify Jesus. Let my life be about that. Because he shows us what it is to be free and how to live. So what does it mean to be holy? That you look at anything in the world and you say, I enjoy you, but you don't own me. You're not my life. Verse 17, we see how this plays out. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So these words of Jesus drip into your soul. The words of scripture, they're like a truth drip. That's how I picture them. Often when we think about scripture, sometimes when we sit down, we're like, we want it to change me in that moment. I much thought, much more think of it as just this drip of truth into our soul, moment by moment, day by day. And that this, that the word of God brings you a vision of holiness through the Ten Commandments, through the words of Jesus. It's the nature of God. We see it in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. And so meditating on the scriptures is like having the truth drip straight into your heart day by day. And I use the word meditation because it's easy to just read the scriptures. You could sit down, you could read it for 10 minutes and at the end of it, you could have not engaged with it at all. You're like, oh, that's interesting. Or maybe not, you just move on. To meditate, for me, means to chew on it, to sit in it, to immerse yourself in it, to kind of turn it over and to be like, God, what are you saying through this? To wrestle with it. To let truth change our perspective, to let it change our hearts, to let Jesus free our minds, to break the attachments that come in so easily. To let the truth nourish you and strengthen you. We have to let the truth of the scriptures be stronger than the voice of the world. We have to let the truth of the scriptures be stronger than the voice of the world. The only way that can happen is if we're in them. Day by day. For me, just taking this week, I've been in Psalm 46. And there's just a verse at the end of that psalm. It says, be still and know that I'm God. And I've just been churning that over and over. It's like, Lord, what does that look like in this moment? What does that feel like? For you, you might be like, I don't really know where to start. I'd say start in John 17. We just talked through it today. And I'm like, read it each day. Read John 17 and just let different bits jump out at you and affect you and turn them over and chew them with the Lord. Lord, how does that, what are you trying to do in this moment? How are you trying to change my viewpoint in this? You won't get bored if you do that. To let the truth sanctify me, your word is truth. Verse 19. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. What did this mean? Well, you might be thinking, well, isn't Jesus already sanctified? Isn't he perfect and without sin? Yes, that's true. But what he's saying in this moment is so profound. He's saying, I will take the punishment you deserve. My father and I are going to bless you, even if it means, and it does mean, I'm going to be cut off 
myself. The old King James says, for their sake, I have cut myself off. So when Jesus went to the cross, cross, he cut himself off from the father. He cut himself off from joy. He cut himself off from love. Why? For us. In order that we could be sanctified, in order that we could be holy, in order that we could come before God, pure and clean before him, radiant, and that he would look at us and he'd see us as, he'd see Jesus. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Come back to that prayer. Holy Father, make them holy and keep them holy. That's us. That's what it's all about. Make them different to the world. That people would look at us and they would see God. To glory, unity, holiness. Jesus' desire to bring the Father glory. Jesus' desire to reach the world through our unity. Jesus' desire for us to be holy. Be holy as I am holy. And then last two minutes in finishing... We must never forget that one day we get to go and be with him. Verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Throughout these chapters 13 to 17, there is this reminder that this world is not all there is. Take heart. Take heart, take heart. He's overcome the world that one day we get to go and be with him and we behold his glory. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And I want you to come and be where I am. The world does not own you. It cannot hold you. It will not defeat you. Take heart, take heart, take heart. He has overcome the world. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember, you can tune in to our YouTube channel on Sundays from 10.30 for our online church or connect with us through Facebook and Instagram to hear from us throughout the week. We would love to help you find out more about Jesus or grow in your faith. So if you have any questions, get in touch on social media or email info at cardiffvineyard.org. If you're local to Cardiff, we would love for you to get involved in a small group, which is just a small group of people meeting throughout the week across the city. Of course, meeting online at the moment. They are the heartbeat of this church and now more than ever at this time of social distancing, they are so important for you to stay connected to church and grow in your faith. Head to our website cardiffvineyard.org and hit the small groups tab at the top of the page to find out more. If you're listening from further afield, thanks so much for tuning in. We're really glad you're here. But we would also love to help you get connected with a local church where you are. So email us at info at cardiffvineyard.org and we would love to help. Thanks again for tuning in this week. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.